What's going on and welcome into a season recap of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek on this Wednesday. I'm Daniel Salerson, joined by Jim Mikanoff for Pelicans.com and Joel Myers, television voice for Bally Sports New Orleans. As we put a bow on the 2020-21 season for New Orleans, glad you all can join us here. Um, we'll do some player recaps with Jim throughout the month of May and June, but today we kind of just wanted to overall talk about this season, unfortunately for the Pelicans, their season is now done after going 31 and 41 in the regular season. And uh, before we get going on just an overall part of the season, Joel, I want to start with you as, as a broadcaster and just how crazy this was for you guys broadcasting the games from the Smoothie King Center for all 72, the condensed schedule. Just what, what about this roller coaster ride really caught your eye uh, throughout the season? Well, it, uh, just glad that we had games, first of all. So, right. in perspective, we were all fortunate that we had 72 games. And in the big picture, we're happy to be working because a lot of people weren't. Uh, but at the same time, uh, what we normally do is when we're on the road with the players or even at home when the players are in the uh, facility, we have an opportunity to talk with them and interact with them, and especially the coaching staff and especially a new coaching staff. So the insight that we gain, and Jim knows this very well, and you do too, Daniel, because you're in the facility with us every day when we're at practice, of uh, the insight that we gain and the perspective that we pick up on from the staff and the players, that was missing, and that's difficult. We were on Zoom every night, every day, with Stan and the players, but it's not the same. It is definitely not the same as having conversations with them, gaining that, that personal insight of what they're going through. So that I look forward to again, I can only cross my fingers that we're back in the building, back in the facility and on the grounds over at Airline Drive. So that was, to me, that was the only really tough part. It wasn't calling the games, it was a treat to have 72 games, but not having the insight that we normally have that we could pass along to all the people that care about the Pels. Yeah, you know, the line that I used a lot this year when people asked me how how this season as far as just actually doing the work was, was I thought it was a lot, it was easy. In some ways it was easier to do the job because obviously the, the travel part of it was subtracted and just the time demands were less. Just when you remove the fact that we're not, you know, having to get on planes all the time and flying all over the place, um, that was easier. So I think it was easier to do the job, but it was harder to do the job. Well, is the way that I would put it because as Joel mentioned, um, it's, it was impossible to kind of get a lot of the insight. And I think it's something that you don't realize until you, you it's removed from the equation as far as just, just, I mean, one example, to me, the relationships that specific players have with other guys, it's, it's so much harder to get a feel for that. We, we heard on the Zoom yesterday, for example, we, we heard the uh, centers talk about how, you know, Stephen Adams, Billy, and Jackson Hayes are all really good friends, but as you go through the season and you interview guys for me at shoot rounds or after practices, a lot of times I'll ask questions to players about their teammates or guys that they know well, or guys that they have insight on. And it's just impossible to know that as, as well when you're not around the team. So it was, it was definitely a lot more difficult from that standpoint, but um, I, I agree with Joel. I think it's important to put things in perspective a lot of times in terms of just the unemployment that's out there and all the stuff that people are going through. I mean, we have it very good in these, in these jobs that we have. So I have, I have no complaints about that at all. I am looking forward to getting back to normal, whatever that 
means next season. But um, but it, it was uh, it seemed like this season also went by really fast to me. I mean, playing so many games in such a short amount of time, it seemed like you never really had time to gather your thoughts and really kind of look at things from a step back and look at things from a bigger perspective. It was always to me just about trying to just keep up with everything and and not get behind. There was always another game coming immediately whenever you wrapped up one. Yeah, hard to believe that it is May 18th and we're recapping the season, usually in a normal season. If we're recapping season now, it means that we went well into the playoffs. And so we definitely right. wish we're back here doing that next year. But, Jim, we talked about it on the post game. I'll start with you in our final game against the Lakers. And I asked you to describe the season in one word. And I thought you, you said it perfectly, was inconsistent. What aspects of the season were inconsistent for the Pelicans, whether it was one side of the ball, whether the fact that maybe one side of the ball was good at one point and then not so good in the other. How would you summarize that inconsistency for the Pelicans? Yeah, I think it was a lot of different aspects. I mean, you mentioned one of them that in the first half of the season, the, um, the, the defense really struggled. The offense was good. And then the second half, it kind of flipped. But unfortunately, the result of that, of never having both aspects of the game working positively meant that you never had, I think the longest winning streak was maybe four games all season. They were really never able to put together not only a long winning streak, but even a stretch of say 10, 15 games where they were 12 and three or something like that. So I think that was one of the biggest stumbling blocks ultimately to why they didn't even make in the, make the, the play in tournament, but also just the inconsistency of um, beating so many good teams, but also losing to some of the teams that were struggling and at the bottom of the, of the standings. So there was a lot of elements to that. And I think, you know, individually, certain guys were inconsistent throughout the year, but that was partly to be expected just based on how young the roster is and how many guys are in their rookie or second year. I mean, you, you kind of have to know going in that that's going to be part of it, but um, just overall the, I mean, uh, this is not any great insight. I think every fan that watches the team, this year understood that, that it was just frustrating from the standpoint of you knew the potential and the capability that the team had, but that they, they still had games where you were scratching your head and also inconsistency within games where you, which was part of why you built, um, you're able to build double digit leads even on the road against good teams, but not able to hold them in a lot of cases, especially in the second half of the season. What about you, Joel? How would you describe, there's a different word that you would, pick which one would it be and if not uh kind of piggyback on Jim with the inconsistency well I would say it wasn't complete from the beginning to the end there was a lack of whether it was finishing games and you brought up the double digit leads that Jim just alluded to or just making mistakes and beating yourself and early in the year they were so cavalier and casual with basketball and giving away the ball there's a premium on every possession. That's why the good teams have 12 to 13 turnovers a game at the end of the season. And the Pels got much better and much cleaner the last half dozen to a dozen games of the season, but they dug themselves a hole. And then finishing games and, and also taking care of the basketball at the end of games. I mean, the, the perfect example was Indiana giving that game away. But that wasn't the only game. That was just an example, and that was the extreme example so, and even Griff brought it up in his end of the uh, season address to the media where the double-digit leads that were blown. Now, granted, some of those double-digit leads were in the first half as well, but still the, the lack of finishing, whether it was early in the game or at the end of the game. 
just taking care of the basketball. It was a frustration factor with this group because you know they were better than 31 and 41. They had enough talent to be better than 31 and 41. So you can't keep making excuses. You've got to clean it up. You've got to be able to finish games. And the talent is there. Now, developing the talents, and we saw some of that over the last few games as well, uh, the guys that got on the floor that maybe didn't get on the floor earlier in the year, like Najee Marshall, competition from within is the healthiest thing with an NBA franchise. When guys really succeed, it's because they're supporting each other and they don't mind other guys. That's why Billy Hernan Gomez is so good for this team because he was a great teammate. He wasn't playing all the time, but boy, was happy for the success of his teammates. So I would like to see that competition continue that we saw over the last 15 to 20 games because of injuries, unfortunately. But getting a guy like Najee on the floor and all of a sudden, look at his energy and look at his effort at both ends of the floor and some of his decisions. So AD and I talk about it all the time and they got into the paint late, but if they got into the paint late in the year, more uh, be, and Zion wasn't on the floor more because of dribble penetration and getting inside drives, kicks, whatever it might've been. So it was encouraging at the end of the year, whether it was Najee, whether it was Billy Hernan Gomez, uh, some of the youngsters, Kyra, Jackson Hayes with revelation over the last 15 to 20 games, if not a leave, even a more extended period of time. So just, it was an incomplete kind of year at 31 and 41 from beginning to end whether it was turnovers early, not finishing games throughout the course of the season. I do like what happened at the end of the year with the effort, the energy, and then the competition for minutes is very healthy, and that also existed. Uh, let's talk about speaking of revelation. I think Point Zion was, was a big revelation for this Pelicans team throughout the season, and I'll start with you, Joel, but Jim, I'm going to have a follow-up then to go to you with regarding Zion. But, but Joel, what impressed you the most about Zion and point Zion and how that really affected this team um, throughout the season, how they kind of changed that offensive strategy with that being the big part of it. Well, if you were to break it down percentage wise, Daniel, on how much he handled the basketball, it wasn't until really the second half after the all-star break and even a little bit more after that, but he, what he did teams knew he was going to try to accomplish yet. He still got it done. He's so gifted inside the paint and so creative with his finishes. It's just hard to believe we're watching a guy that looks like that and has that kind of touch, the dexterity and, and the way he can create and then adjust in midair. And it was amazing the way he got what he wanted, even though teams knew what he was going to do. So we set in on history, 27 point average on better than 60% shooting. I mean, that's go back to there's only two or three guys that have done it. The most recent, Kevin McHale. And that was back in 1986. That's how long it's been. Somebody has averaged that many points and shot better than 60%. So it's only going to be better. Now consider that, and uh, I don't want to get off the topic of points Zion because I want to get back to that. Consider more shooting around him and more proper spacing around him. And he's really going to take off. He could be a triple-double kind of machine because he's a willing passer. He sees his teammates. He knows where he wants to go once he gets into the paint, whether it's going to be for a bucket or if my, my shot is taken away or what I want to do is taken away. He's already got in his mindset what his counter is. 
what his next step is. He's got an A, a B, and a C. So at 20 years of age, he's way ahead of schedule. Uh, point Zion, though, he needs to tighten his handle. It's very good already. There's no question about that. And once he lowers his shoulders and he gets in there, he's amazing. But he's, he's got to tighten his handle. And that goes back to too many turnovers. And you can't beat yourself. But how encouraging is it for all of us to watch this guy just after his first two years in 82-plus games? It's pretty amazing what the Pels are sitting on right now in Zion. Yeah, absolutely. Very encouraging. And, Jim, what Joel said kind of piggyback to what I want to ask you is how does Point Zion change David Griffin's direction on roster construction knowing that this is now a part of this Pelicans offense? How can maybe the Pelicans kind of reshape that offense based on what Zion's able to do from not only inside but also from the point guard position? Yeah, I think it's not – I don't think it's anything that we didn't already know or didn't already realize in terms of what the emphasis needs to be. I mean, if Zion's on the ball a lot more than anticipated, it it puts even more emphasis on the shooting that needs to be around him. But I think even if he never played point guard or never was point Zion and he was stationed in the paint and that was how he was scoring most of his baskets, we'd probably still say the same thing that the emphasis needs to be on getting more shooting around him. So um, I, that's probably how I would look at it is, you know, either way it's, it's especially in the NBA, the direction that the league is going where you see teams taking 40, 53 pointers and how many times this season that the Pelicans were outscored by a good margin, just in three point shooting and that they had to make up in other areas of the game, which is not easy to do sometimes, especially during the stretch where, I mean, they had back-to-back games where they gave up 25 three pointers to both Chicago and Dallas so it's it's just so hard to to compensate for that some of the gaps that they had in that part of the game. So I think that's that's the direction that you probably need to go is just focus on shooting. When it comes to the young guys, and, and we mentioned it all, that they're the fifth youngest team this past year as far as age is concerned. So plenty of guys that are, you know, Zion's 20, Jackson Hayes just turned 21, a lot of guys with so much potential at a young age. I'll start with Jim. We talk about the sophomores in Zion, in Nikhil, in Jackson, and we'll even get the DD maybe a little later. But growth from year one to year two, because I think a lot of people want to put pressure on these first-round picks, assuming that they just have to be an impact right away. That's not always the case. You can expect that maybe with the Zion Williamson, the number one pick, but maybe not with the number eight pick in Jackson, number 17 with Nikhil. Where did you see with both of them? You can choose which one you want to start with the growth from year one to year two with, uh, if you want to put Zion in there, you can, but also the main focus is Nikhil and Jackson Ace. And I'll go with you, Joel, afterwards. Yeah, I think um, our guy, Antonio Daniels, talked about this throughout the season that um, it's unfair to try to compare the other rookies to Zion because Zion is just, just kind of a guy that you just don't see. He's pretty generational in terms of his talent. So, he's kind of in a separate category, I guess. Um, for, for me, Jackson, what he did in the last maybe 20 or so games of the season was really impressive. Just the jump that he made. I was impressed by how much more confident he looked and how many different things he was even trying on offense. It seemed like he's starting to step out and shoot threes. He had that little floater from say eight, 10 feet that he was making pretty consistently. So uh, he just looks so much more confident. And um, for Nikhil, what he did in the games that he started, 
start, I, I think beginning with that, uh, the game against the Clippers at the beginning of the season when they had a few got key guys out, including I think Zion missed that game. Um, he, he made such a big jump this year. And this was something that he talked about throughout the season, including yesterday, was just that he needed to try to just relax kind of on the court and realize like, I don't need to force things. I'm talented enough that if I let the game come to me, I'll be good and I'll make the contributions to the team that need to be there. So um, I think with both of those guys, it's pretty instructive as we look at Kyra Lewis's season next year in terms of realizing that you, you can't go overboard with your, the way that you analyze and evaluate rookies because the vast majority of them do have a hard time adjusting. And I think it was even more difficult this year with the situation, obviously, of a, of a minor, a minimal training camp. What about you, Joel? Well, I want to see the, the development of the basketball IQ side from some of the youngsters. So there's, it's twofold. And we saw it at the end, and Nikhil's really talented. There's no question about it. And he's more of a two and a combo than a one. But still, you got to make the proper decisions. So it, it boils down to if you're going to be getting extra reps and the team is investing in you, then also you have to look at the film. And you have to see what I liked and what I didn't like and where I made a mistake and what I can do better. And that create your craft to be a pro. And it's all season. When I say all season, I'm talking about now, what are these young guys going to add during the off season? So Jim, you brought up Jackson. It was pretty amazing what we saw with Jackson after he sat for a while, came back and, and give the older guys credit because Jackson, we always talked about it. We saw whether it was Steven Adams or it was Billy. They were in Jackson's ear during timeouts, always talking to them, always communicating. And that's really healthy. So the atmosphere in the locker room and the culture that Griff and the guys are creating, it's positive. There is no question about that. But let's see these guys increase their basketball IQ with the additional reps. Uh, we saw that get better for Najee, even in a short period of time. I want to see Kyra. Uh, the game started to slow down for him. I don't think there's any question about that. He just turned 20. And then finally, more than anything else, offense is fun. Defenses work. If you're going to be the faces of franchise of the franchise, and we've got a couple of unbelievable talents, there's no question about that. You got to be the best players in the NBA are good two-way players. Even if they're not totally locked down defenders, they are pretty good at that end of the floor. So that's where the improvement needs to be significant for this team at the defensive end of the floor. Oh, they got better after the all-star break, but they can only get better because of where they were at that point, what were they 27th or 28th in defensive efficiency. So uh, get to work at that end of the floor. Offense is a lot of fun. Defenses work. The best players in the NBA take pride in that end of the floor. So when we talk about the youngsters, that's what they need to do. Jackson really came on in playing center field. Jackson started to read at the defensive end of the floor. That's why he had the blocks and he protected the rim well, chain shots as well. And you want to see that from Nikhil, from Kyra, but especially from your best players on the team. They've got to be two-way players for this team to succeed. Yeah, you know, Joel, I think, one thing that we've seen over time too is the, the great teams realize that if you play elite defense, the offense is even more fun because you get all these transition chances right. and it just makes it so much easier for you to, to do well. But the key is that 
as I think we've seen a lot of players uh, over, say, the last 20 years of the NBA, some of the guys who are big scorers who don't win are guys who don't play defense and guys that say it's the other three or four guys on the court's responsibility to defend and I'm going to just do my thing. So a big part of, of the leadership is kind of taking over that, you know, responsibility of saying I'm going to be the one that spearheads why we become a good defensive team. And then all of a sudden everyone benefits because you're, I think, you know, Miami heat in the beginning of the last decade was a great example of this, that, I mean, once they became a, a great defensive team, it was just really tough to stop them because, you know, all, not only are they a great offensively talented team anyways, but now all of a sudden they're getting all these turnovers and all these runouts. So um, I I'm with you on that. I think that, uh, that's that's a huge key, but as you said too, not just for Zion and Bi, but for just for everyone on the team. Everyone has to take the responsibility of saying we're going to turn this into not just a you know a decent defensive team, but one of the one of the top defensive teams in the league. And I think if that happens, they're going to be there's no there's no ceiling for how good that this team can be. Yeah, and let me let me just tag on to that, Daniel. You know the best teams are connected at that end of the floor. You can get away with bad possessions offensively with great players. I, I yeah. believe me, I was in San Antonio and, and I had the Lakers and I had eight years with Kobe Bryant and Kobe at the end of shot clock would take care of bad possessions in the triangle. So when you have great offensive players, you can get away with it, but you better be connected as a group. It's help the helper. It's the old terminology, but be connected at the defensive end of the floor. And that's where leadership comes in from your best players when they take pride at that end of the floor. So that's where you really need to take the step up. We can talk about shooting all we want. And even Griff did his opening comments that they miscalculated things and they need more shooting. There is no question about that because there's a premium on shooting. The one thing that AD and I talked about, and I use that stat and I'm not a big stat guy because I'm a more of an eye test guy when I watch teams and individual players was percentage of points from beyond the arc. And so often we saw teams that were in the top 10 where the Pels were 28th at the end of the year in percentage of points from threes. So Griff, Trajan, everybody in basketball ops, they know what they need in the offseason. But if you get stops, you're going to be in every game. And the Pels were in a lot of games, five minutes or less, five points or less, that, that were there for the taking. So, but it, the Golden State game is a perfect example. They came out of the timeout with 26 seconds left. They got a layup. Pels came out of the timeout with 21 seconds left, and they took a fadeaway three-pointer. And it was a low percentage look. So it, it boils down to if you can get stops, you're going to win a lot of games. And they're connected. You brought up Spolstra and the way he did that blitz and recover in Miami and, and turn things around there because they took pride at the defensive end of the floor. That's we can talk offense all we want, but if you can't get stops, you're not going anywhere. I'm glad you brought up the leadership standpoint. Cause that's what stuck out to me yesterday in exit interviews. And that was Brandon Ingram talking about potentially getting guys together in the off season um, in one spot and working out. Hopefully they'll be able to do so with COVID and health and safety protocols. But he also talked about maybe individually with he and Zion working together because during the season, I remember him talking about that those two really didn't, complement each other well from Santa. They really didn't work on that. It was more of both of them were scoring well when they were on the court at the same time, but I don't think they really focused much on how they could complement each other. So with that being said, I'll start with Jim and then go with Joel as far as what did you see that you liked when those two were on the floor together? And then maybe what can be worked on heading into next season? I think overall, I mean, 
you would think that Brandon Ingram's stats, and especially his scoring in particular, would have gone down because he, he played so much more with Zion this season compared to last year from ob- the obvious standpoint that Zion played 24 games as a rookie and he played, you know, I, I think it was in the, was in the 60s somewhere this year, total games that he played. But his but Brandon's stats really were he I think he his scoring average was almost exactly the same. So I think that was encouraging that they he they were able to show to to a, an extent that they could play together and that it wasn't like all of a sudden Brandon's touches went way down or his scoring average went way down the way that you might expect it when you have you know Zion who averaged twenty seven something points a game. So in terms of what they can do better, I mean. I do think to go back to what Joel was just talking about, it's just the defensive end. I'm not sure exactly what they can do better offensively. There's a, there's a cap to, to it to some extent, just from the standpoint of there's only one basketball out there. And I know that I think the Pelicans, the coaching staff did a good job of staggering their minutes too, so that there was one of them was out there most of the time, but I, I would say, the thing that they can improve upon is really just goes back to the defensive end. I, I don't have a problem really at all with them, what they did together as a combination on offense. And if anything, I think, as we've said multiple times already, if you, if you increase and improve the shooting around them, the number of easy baskets that both of them are going to get will go up even more. So that's one, another thing that I'm looking forward to is just to be able to put them in position where they don't have to work as hard for some of their baskets. I mean, Zion's incredible. As far as I feel like sometimes if you put four defenders in front of him, he still can score, but you don't want to have to have, make him do that all the time. So um, just putting them in a position where they can get a few more baskets per game where they don't have to work for them is going to be really beneficial for both of them. And we'll see, you know, their, their Zion's efficiency is incredible as it is, but I mean, if, if you saw that go up even more, that would be another thing that would boost the offense and, even at the end of games as well, just it seemed like, especially in the beginning part of the season, I thought that Brandon was put in situations where he was trying to or had to score, even though the other team were total, was totally focused on him at the end of games. So a, a lot of that stuff, I think, will improve next season as you make some changes and as some of these guys get further into their career. Yeah, and let me just tag on to that, what Jim was talking about. And, and you don't want to be predictable, but any time that they went into a two-man game on the same side of the floor, whether it was pick and roll, whether it was, you know, Zion spacing down on the block and Brandon out of the wing, they succeeded at a pretty high rate. And another thing, that they, they should get together. First of all, they're both from the South. It makes sense. They're in New Orleans. They both are from the South. They could, their legacy could be with the Pels in this market for a long time to come with a great deal of success. So they should want to put their stamp on the organization, their imprint here, and do it the right way. You know, Griff brings up growing organically. Well, these two guys are 23 and 20 right now. And if they're on the same page, only good things are going to happen. Kyra's just turned 20 years of age, he's from the South it's nice to have guys from this region to build with as your foundational pieces. So it makes perfect sense that I like what Brandon said, he shouldn't want to get together with Zion. They're both exceptional at what they do and they're not real similar. Let's face it in their games, but they complement each other. 
So it should work. There's no question about that. And then you've got today's pick and roll guard. Kyra's classic pick and roll guard. He's a burst. He's got speed. He's got a great stroke too. He needs to work on his teardrop a little bit better. Like the old Tony, Tony Parker couldn't shoot when he came into the Spurs. I was there 20 years ago, but he, he worked nonstop in the gym on his teardrop, his runners and his mid range game. Kyra's going to get whatever he wants off ice screen and roll. And he can get to the basket and he can drive and he can kick and make everybody around him better. So the pieces are there. There is no question. Now find maybe a shooter or two. And I don't know about the cap. I'm not going to try to be a cap expert. And I don't know the limitations on that economically, what is available for the Pels this offseason. But there's a lot of room there because the pieces, the young group is already there. Now find a couple of guys that, want to be a part of this growth process because you've got great foundational pieces already. Well, my Zoom is telling me that I have about seven and a half minutes here as we didn't pay the bill once again. So I'm going to pretend like this is around the horde and you both won uh, the episode. I'm going to give you one final parting shot, whether it's a message to fans, whether it's something that we didn't maybe bring up here in the time that we were allotted. I'll I'll start with Jim since he has had a, a couple minutes here as Joel talked and I'll let Joel finish up. But Jim, uh, the floor is yours. What would you like to say as we wrap, we wrap up this season recap here? Well, I mean, I, you mentioned fans. I appreciate the people that have, have been here all the way along. I, Joel and I have spoken about this recently. I think the fan base is continually increasing. I love the fact that, especially among younger people, I think in New Orleans, people have really embraced the Pelicans as something that they're really into. And I love interacting with people about the team. Um, specifically to the roster, I like what Joel said earlier about how competition is a good thing. And I think as, as the Pelicans add some guys this summer, I mean, also the, I'm looking forward to the lottery pick, whether how they use that. Um, there could be some really good battles as far as playing time. And we need to see that because as people remember from the beginning of the season, when the bench was kind of shortened and didn't do very well, um, we want to have as many options as possible and, and, People are going to have to fight for minutes, and hopefully – I'm hoping that as we go into training camp that that's the case. Uh, some guys are going to – it's not going to go – be favorable for some guys if they lose their role or they lose minutes, but that's uh, that's how sports work. So I'm looking forward to, to there being more competition next season. Rachel. And Daniel, final thing. And I brought this up to Jim last time. Uh, we had dinner last night. You were invited. You blew us off. But <laughs> I brought- did. The last couple of playoffs, uh, the 30 NBA markets in TV ratings, percentage of TVs on, New Orleans was top three. Top three. We already have a really solid NBA market. They want us, they want the Pels to succeed. They want to watch great NBA basketball. It's already there. Everybody is already invested. So first, let me thank everybody for their loyalty because they keep coming out and it's the third straight season that the Pels haven't made it. I've been here nine years, love every second of it. Don't plan on going anywhere. Pels have only been in the playoffs two out of my nine seasons. But now there are, as I said, there are pieces here. There are young, talented, good guys. Brandon, Zion. Good on the list in the last two drafts with Nikhil, Jackson, and Kyra. It is, they're doing it the way you should do it, the right way. 
and grow from within with guys that are fully invested in staying here and being a part of this organization. So I want to thank everybody because I do think it's going to pay off down the road. I know, and I said the state day when we closed our telecast, my, my cup's not half full, it's 90% full most of the time. But I am optimistic because of the talent that is here right now and the potential to add a little bit more. And as Jim just brought up, there is a lottery pick. Not that we wanted a lottery pick, but there is a lottery pick this year, plus the picks down the road that were acquired in the deals with the Lakers and also further down the road with the Milwaukee Bucks. So I just appreciate everybody, their passion and their loyalty to the Pels. And we've already got an NBA fan base. There's no question. They want the, the team to succeed. Now it's up to the Pels to deliver. Well said from both of you and really appreciate both of you coming on throughout the entire season. Jim has been my co-host uh, throughout the year. Joel has been on uh, as much as he can during a, a really tough trip or tough season as far as schedule wise. So one, it's been a wild ride, but really appreciate you both coming on to kind of put a bow on this season. We're not done yet, though, as far as recaps. Jim and I will continue player recaps starting next week. We'll go hopefully throughout most of June before we get you ready for the draft lottery, and then we'll be back in July for the NBA draft. And then hopefully after that, summer league, and then back to normal for a regular season with the Pelicans for 2021 and 22. Guys, I really appreciate it, and we'll do this again soon. Daniel, thank you. And let me just say one last thing. I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. I'm going to do the first round for Turner. Maybe we, after the first round, we can get together again, the three of us, and do kind of a playoff podcast. So, And I'll give you my impressions of what I saw when I did those games. For sure. That sounds great. Awesome, Joel. I mean, I'll, I didn't even realize that. That's breaking news to me that you're going to be on the games. I look forward to it. I'll, I will be texting you during games and breaking down the your analysis and also looking for those like subtle pieces of humor that you always throw in that not everyone always catches. So I, I very much look forward to that. Thanks, Jim. Only on here that we break news on the Pelicans podcast. That's what we do here. So as Joel dropped that, uh, enjoy the playing tournament this week. I know that's going to be a lot of fun. Enjoy the playoffs. And again, Jim and I will be back next week beginning with our player recast for Joel Myers and Jim Mike Hopper and our entire podcasting crew, whether it was Hograph and Edie John the Chaser, Caroline Gonzalez, Antonio Daniels, who's been on, Aaron Hardigan, and David Wesley. Thanks for listening to the season recap presented by SeatGeek, and we'll talk to you next week for the player recast. Bye.